look at and talk about a little bit this morning to start. These guys basically just <clears throat> gave me freedom to come kind of share whatever I wanted. Um, and whenever that happens, you know, you want to, at least I think, you want to share something the Lord is ministering to you. So I forget where recently uh, somebody was teaching or I was reading. I don't really even remember. But the thought stuck with me. Just the individual's point was, again, the most important thing in our life is whether we walk with God or not. And sometimes just you can get caught up in a lot of stuff and to be brought back to that is a good thing for me to remember. So I just started a little study on my own. I looked up the word walk in the Bible, walk, walking, walks, walked. If you use Blue Letter Bible, you can type it in and just they bring up all the usages. Over 400 usages in the Bible, more alluding to that. And uh, surveying them, just kind of looking how they're used, most of them aren't used of literal walking, like two men walking on the road to Emmaus. They're used in context of a relationship with God. That's how it's used more often than even just the literal walking. So what I'd like to do is talk about our walk with God and just kind of pick out, this will be topical, a couple of the things that stood out to me that were kind of themes of those verses that I think can be a good remembrance for all of us. So if you want to do a study on your own, I encourage you, look, look those references up, how the Bible uses all of those terms, and you'll find more than what I'm telling you right now, but uh, that's what I want to focus on. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into it. Lord, be with us now. Uh, it is foolish, we know, for a human to stand up and think that they can convey God in human terms. You say that it only works because you have ordained the foolishness of preaching because you've given us a divine revelation and you've given us your spirit to help. So help us now as we look into your word. Teach us. We do want to be your disciples, your learners. Let us grow in grace and in the knowledge of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, talking about your walk with God can feel, I'll admit, Christian-y, I think. Some people can make it seem almost even feminine or over-religious. You know, in a setting like this, maybe it's not too bad, but sometimes if you take the, the language and move it outside of this setting, if you're at work and somebody's like, man, how's your walk with God, or... You talk to somebody else just about your walk with God at Burger King. That seems out of place. Or, man, wait, well, maybe this is a little bit too far or something like that. But even though it might be something that can seem almost cliche, I'll say, in religious circles, I would say the term is worth fighting for, and that's because of how biblical it actually is. So beginning in Genesis chapter 3, Verse 8, I want to show you first and foremost, my point is simply that walking with God is an ancient idea. Genesis 3.8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the very kind of beginning of a 
picture of humanity in relationship with God, we see God walking in the cool of the day. We, we've heard this. It's kind of a beautiful image. If you skip to Genesis chapter 5, verse 22, just flip over a little bit. We have this. Genesis 5.22 says, Enoch walked with God 300 years. And skip to verse 24. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. So even after this picture in Eden, the description of someone in right relationship with God is a person who walks with God. If you go down to Genesis chapter 6, verse 9... The Bible tells us this, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. You don't have to go there, but if you're taking notes, Genesis 48, 15, Joseph, or Jacob blesses Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. And he'll talk about himself doing the same. So I say that, and I want to point this out. What do we see in all of this? We see God's way of describing humans' incorrect relationship with him is a walk with God. I think that's important to notice. When God wants to describe humanity in right relationship with him from the very beginning, and Adam knew more about walking with God than any of the rest of us. He had a wonderful experience of it. And then really, as we said in Genesis 3.8, it's a wonderful picture, but the contrast is, it's in brokenness, right? Adam's hiding from what he used to do freely in terms of walking with God. And then after sin, we have those pictures. Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're described as people who walked with God. So <clears throat> God gives us this picture and image from the very beginning because he knew it was going to be a good description of what it means to be in a right relationship with him. Certainly, the image of walking with somebody gives us direct idea of relationship, particularly there in Eden, right? Adam and Eve walking with God, presence with presence, and they hide themselves from God's presence. Their sin has brought them to a place where they no longer enjoy what the the whole purpose of that walking was. And even in our day, if you're going to spend time walking with another individual, there's a level of intimacy to that, a connection to it. Um, I went to a Bible college in Southern California. They had in, in the college area, like a big kind of lake and a nice like trail around the lake. And there's always people kind of walking around there. But there was a joke that if you were a guy and you started walking around there with a girl, if you went more than three laps, then something was going on, right? That was like the joke, you know? Because you could walk there, it's a nice place, and somebody could come as your friend and you could chat, but you're like, oh man, those people are on their third lap right here. There's more, there's more going on there than just somebody finding a friend and chatting, right? Just out, the idea of if you see people walking around, there's a certain level of something happening there of either friendship or maybe that's something that would be more than a friendship. So the reality is that picture of a person with a person, these people want to be connected, and 
these individuals, Adam, all the way in the beginning, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they are people, not perfect, but who wanted to be in God's presence. They wanted to be near him. They wanted to walk with him. It also gives us the idea of a normal pace. Enoch, it says, walked with God 300 years. What an incredible statement. Normal life is the idea. Walking is different than running. From a hectic pace of things to a slower pace of things. Nobody can run for 300 years. <laughs> Enoch walked with God for 300 years. Gives us the idea of normal life. Sometimes people can talk about a walk with God and it seems like it's got to be all these kind of like supernatural or big things that are kind of incredible stories. No, a walk, it, it pictures a normal pace, a regular pace, the daily occurrence of things. The Lord wants to walk with us through our regular life. Sometimes we think God wants to meet us in like big places or in big moments or even as something like this, which he does, but that doesn't mean he's absent from the rest. You know, some people get a little uh, worried sometimes when people begin to talk about spiritual experience and things, but I, I think I get a little worried when people want to do it from the stage and in the show, but like, when we're having a mom talking about walking with God, getting her kids ready for school, or a man talking about walking with God at work, or somebody talking about walking with God at home and their family, like that's what God is talking about. That's what he wants. I'm not afraid of those scenarios. That's, that's what we should be doing. I should expect, I should have a consciousness of God through my regular life. He doesn't only want to meet me on Sunday and then be like, peace, see you in a week. He wants to be known in my life individually. Enoch walked with God. It wasn't just Enoch's church walked with God. Enoch walked with God for 300 years, a pace, a daily pace. And God wanted to be involved in that, in his life. And something unique happened down the line. But for 300 years, it seems like it was a whole lot of normal days. Jesus walked around with his disciples. There are remarkable things that happened, but it seems like there's some normal process in that as well. And for you and I, I think it's important. God wants to walk with you. Regular life. None of us are even going to have 300 years. At least right here in this type of life. God wants to be involved in the normal pace of things for you. And then that picture of the, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Genesis 17, 1, God would say to Abram, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me. Again, a... Uh, uh, a image of walking with God, and if you could say again another description, what, is, what does it look like for a person to walk with God? What does that happen, or what does that um, mean practically? What it means is he is the one we walk before. He takes up our vision. Abraham had a lot of things going on in his life. 
He's 99 years old, but God says, walk before me. I want to be the one on your mind. I want to be the one that fills your vision. I want to be the one that you're dealing with on a regular basis. If we just walk through life, we can have a lot of other things as our vision or that we're dealing with on a regular basis. God says, walk before me. Make me the thing that is the biggest part of what your life is facing, looking at, connected to. That's what he wanted Abram to do. And I think right off the bat what we see is this idea of walking with God doesn't somehow appear later in the Bible or after Jesus with his disciples. It's all the way right in the beginning. And it's how God wants us to understand people in right relationship with him. If you would then flip to John 66, or it's chapter 6, verse 66. Chris brought this up last night. I'll use it. There's a bunch of verses that you can pick uh, to kind of make these points, but I'll use this one. Again, first, walking with God is an ancient idea. The second kind of theme we see in these verses that talk about walking with God is that you can choose to walk another path. Walking with God is not the only choice. John 6, 66, we know this verse. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Notice That's the description. They walk with him no more. And Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? What's their desire? The idea is repeated over and over again. Uh, Maybe most, I didn't count them up literally, but maybe most of the verses could fall into this category when the Bible talks about walking with God. Because God pleads for his people to walk with him And he says, walk in my ways, walk in my statutes, walk in my judgments, walk in my commands, walk in my law, walk before the Lord, walk before me. He's calling to a direct path over and over and over again. And it's often in direct relation to the things that he says. Again, over and over again, words like ways, statutes, judgments, commands, law, me, hear Jesus again. His words, his teaching, a difficult saying. If you're going to stay with him, you have to stay with the things that he says. There's a lot of people who talk about Jesus in the world that like some of the things that he says. They don't like all of the things that he says. Even the unsaved world will pull out, isn't Jesus like all about this or all about that? Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. Jesus says, also, don't judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. We don't like that verse, though. Right? I, like, I like pieces of what Jesus says. No, do I like what Jesus says, all of it, him speaking to me. And he calls over and over again people that are going to walk with him to walk, I'll just say, in his ways. Or 
You can walk contrary to him. God pleads with his people over and over again through the Old Testament into the New. Do not walk contrary to me. Do not walk in sins. Do not walk in the way of evil. Do not walk after other gods. Do not walk in lies or in darkness or in pride or after bales or in the way of the Pharisees or according to the dictates of their own hearts. Again, a walk with someone implies that they have something to say to us. Maybe you're in a situation where somebody say, come here, can I have a word with you? Right, we do that. The idea is you want to pull somebody aside to say something to them. There's a, an idea of as we walk together, there's going to be talking. There's going to be a sharing back and forth. And, you know, when you have a good friend, you don't always have to talk. Just kill the silence, you know. But there is something to be said. And a walk with God then implies that we allow his word to define our path, that we're going to listen to him. And if not, we don't remain neutral. We begin to walk contrary to him. That's, that's what we see over and over again in the word. I am walking in his paths with what he says, or I am walking contrary to him. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, do you want to go to he doesn't just say, do you want to reject this one saying and hang with me? It's, do you want to stay or go? It's what we were saved from. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, according to the price of the power, the, the prince of the power of the air and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Colossians 3.7, you say, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Speaking of our old sinful life, he's saying, this is how you used to walk. It's the description. First Peter, Peter would say, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness and lusts and drunkenness and revelries, drinking parties and abominable idolatries. He says, yeah, we used to walk like that. And... If any of us were unsaved, we would still walk like that because we wouldn't have the grace of God in our lives in the same way. And we wouldn't have the power of the Spirit to walk a different way. We wouldn't know his word. If we were unsaved, we'd all just be like the world we live in. But when we get saved, we begin to hear his word and we walk differently. We were born again of God to walk with God. Sometimes I think we forget the next step. Like Jesus didn't die just to save us from our sins. He died to save us from our sins so that we could be in fellowship with him. He didn't he didn't save or cover man's sins just so that now they can live life sinless but at a distance from him. The whole point is I want Adam and Eve back in a position where they don't have to hide from my presence. What I wanted in the beginning to walk with them in the cool of the day is the whole point. He's not just trying to get us out of hell. He's getting us into heaven to be in fellowship with him. That's the whole point of it. And <clears throat> he cares about this enough to have made that happen, but he's not comfortable having us saved and living at a distance from him. Like some angry teenager with their headphones in trying to walk 20 feet away from their mom in the mall or something like that, right? 
Like, I don't really want to be acknowledged as with this person. And sometimes Christians, that's how they can live based on the things Jesus says. They don't want to totally be connected with him and his sayings. I don't want to go to hell, but I don't want to be seen as walking with that guy. But I either choose to walk with him or walk contrary to him. The distance isn't geographic, though, with God. It's in relationship. That's the point. When I'm distant from God, he's not actually far from me because God's everywhere. But we're far in likeness. Like you can be in the same room with somebody, but we say be a million miles away. Distance in terms of relationship. Christ's blood cleanses us so that there doesn't have to be distance in terms of relationship. So that I can walk with him in his sayings. 1 John 2, 6 says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. He knows who we are. If I say I walk with him, I walk like he walks. The idea is in his words, in his commands. We agree upon things. Revelation pictures him as the one who walks amongst the seven lampstands. Jesus is that high priest. It means he's walking in the middle of his church. He's aware of everything. He can write a letter to every church, and he knows exactly what's going on in each church. He knows what needs to be addressed. It's not the same letter to every church. It's a unique letter to each church. And he knows what needs to be addressed, what needs to be blessed and encouraged, what needs to be offered in terms of reward or warning. He's involved in each individual one. And he has something to say to us. And if we go astray because he cares about us, he calls us back. He is not satisfied with us living at a distance from him. We might be satisfied at times, but he is never satisfied. And when he sees us walking at a distance, Isaiah 30 verse 21 says, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand and whenever you turn to the left. God didn't send his son to die for us so that we could live at a distance from him. He's not satisfied with that. And he wants us to walk near to him, in fellowship with him, to hear him. God has spoken to us about who he is, what he wants, what pleases him, what displeases him. And like any true friendship, To walk with God means I take those things and I agree with them. And if I disagree with them, if you talk with somebody a bunch and you just keep getting in fights and disagreements, you're not going to hang out with that person very much. If you're not agreed on very much, you're not going to have much fellowship. Amos says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? And what God does is he says, here's my ways, here's my judgments, here's my statutes, here's what pleases me, here's what displeases me. Walk with me. Let me talk with you. And continue to walk with me. Don't walk contrary to me. Yeah, I'm going to tell you some things that might be hard to hear, but keep walking with me. I'll explain them. You'll get them. If he sees you begin to walk away, he says, no, 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 come walk back here. You'll hear a voice behind you in the way. 
saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Now, of course, that assumes our back's been turned to him. He'll say in Jeremiah, don't turn your back to me. You've turned your back to me and not your face. Some pretty heartbreaking things. My people have forgotten me days without end. That's the voice of somebody who cares if you're in fellowship, talking with one another. And if I can talk with somebody, <clears throat> my friendship will deepen. Right? We all got people that we talk with about certain things. Like this guy I talk with about sports. So you're in class with somebody and you talk with them about English or you're on a team with somebody and talk with them about that or you see somebody somewhere and you talk with them about certain things. But there are other people you'll talk with about personal things. And then there are certain people that you share, you know, maybe the most personal things with. And that, that circle always kind of gets smaller and smaller. But the wider number of things you'll talk about, the deeper the fellowship is. And what Jesus wants us to do is talk about everything. I'm going to share my heart with you, and he wants us to share our heart with him. And he wants us to care about his interests. Do we have shared interests with him? Like, you might not know it, but Jesus has an interest in your family. What is Jesus' interest in your family, in your marriage, at your workplace, with your friendships, in your personal life? Do you realize Jesus has an interest in all those things? And he has something to say to you in all those areas. We can walk and just think that he doesn't. But what the Bible tells us is he does. He wants to walk with you through your daily life. Jesus has an interest in exactly where he placed you and what's going on. Do I share that interest? Do I have similar goals in my career or with my family or with my grandkids? That's how I'll begin to know Christ more personally as we talk about those things, as we share those things, as I allow him to speak to me about those things. And if I don't, if I reject that or ignore it, I find myself living at a distance or walking contrary to him. I need to hear what he says and turn to it. <clears throat> a guy named Octavius Winslow, he was named Octavius because he was the eighth child. So if anybody has goals in life, there's a name for you. Octavius Winslow says this in his book, Help Heavenward, Christ is only savingly known as he is known personally and experimentally. Books cannot teach him. Sermons cannot teach him. Lectures cannot teach him. They may aid our information and correct our views, but to know him as he is and ought, we must have personal dealings with him. Our sins must bring us to his blood. Our condemnation must bring us to his righteousness. Our corruptions must bring us to his grace. Our wants must bring us to his fullness. Our weakness must bring us to his strength. Our sorrow must bring us to his sympathy. And his own loveliness and love must attract us to himself. And in one hour, a single transaction, in a lone sorrow which has brought us to Jesus, who can estimate how rapidly and to what extent we have grown in a knowledge of his person and his work and his character 
and love. He's infinite, which means he's not too big to be involved in all the smallest details of our life. They're not hard for him. It's not anything big. It doesn't take up extra time, right? We don't want to think about little things because we're trying to cover big things. Well, he's infinite. Nothing's big to him. And nothing's small. He could take care of all of it all at the same time. We should walk with him, hear him, allow him to have his word in our interests, in our ways, in our lives. If you would, go to 1 Kings chapter 22. And what we're going to see here, another of the themes that you'll pick up as you read through the scripture in these verses is your, work with, your walk with God matters to others, not just to yourself. It matters to others as well. And uh, I just picked this out because this theme kind of runs all through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, but... Speaking about King Jehoshaphat, 1 Kings 22, look at verse 43. It says this, a description of life. He walked in all the ways of his father Asa. Asa was a good king. And he did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, if you skip down just a little to verse 52 in the same chapter... Speaking about Ahaziah, it says, He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father, in the way of his mother, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, for he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. Very interestingly, many of their walks are described in relation to their fathers. Now, I'm not putting the final responsibility on fathers or mothers here. That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply pointing out that in the Christian life, we either make it easier or harder for people following us. That's what the Bible teaches. Again, I was involved in youth ministry for years, and one of the things that you can see clearly and obviously is I've had kids in horrible family situations totally unsafe parents, people living in totally sinful, broken-down home scenarios with kids that walk with God and are amazingly godly kids. And I've seen kids with incredibly godly families that were totally rotten scoundrels. Now, what's, right, how do you weigh those things out? The point is, there's no secret sauce. If somebody had a trick that would do something in somebody's life, we would do it. Individuals make their own choices. But what I have learned is, if you got a kid that's going to walk with God, I can be a great encouragement to that kid, or I can be a hindrance to them. I can make it a lot easier for them, or I can make it harder for them. I can be a good example, or I can be a bad example. And what we're called to do as believers is show people the good and right way toward God. And not be an example of what wickedness looks like 
from somebody who's walking away from God. Paul would say in Philippians 3, Brethren, join in following my example and know those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Paul could say to other believers, Mark, mark the way we look at how I walk. You know that. Look at how these others walk. They are a pattern for you. The idea is that person walks with God. Why can't I? Or I'm a pattern of somebody who walks away from God. What do people see in our walk? The, the question is, do they see that we truly walk with God? That's the best thing. I have two daughters. The best thing I can offer them is that if they look at me, they could at least say, he walks with God. There's a story about a famous atheist that was traveling during the Great Awakening to go hear George Whitfield, somebody saw him and said, why are you going to hear George Whitfield? You don't believe in God. And he said, no, I don't, but George Whitfield believes in God, and I want to listen to a guy who believes what he talks about. And I think any of our kids or any of the people around us or the unsafe people that work with you or your unsafe family, they might look and say, I don't believe in God, but he does. That individual does. That should be our testimony. I'll read this to you, a powerful example of that. Uh, John G. Patton, he was a pioneer missionary to the New Hebrides. Anybody looking for a missionary biography to read, John G. Patton and autobiography is a great one. He was a real man. Uh, but he, he was like, they're like cannibalistic islands. He almost gets eaten like every day. So that's half the story. And then... The other half of the story, not to ruin it for you, is like the entire island gets saved. So it's great. But he goes through a whole lot of difficult things. But in the beginning of his life, when he writes in his autobiography and he talks about his father, he was just a normal guy who served the Lord and was faithful in the church. But this is what he he wrote here, speaking about that. He said, the closet was a very small apartment between the other two, having room only for a bed and a little table and a chair, with a diminutive window shedding diminutive light on the scene. This was the sanctuary of that cottage home. There, daily, oftentimes a day, generally after each meal, we saw our father retire and shut the door. And we children got to understand by a sort of spiritual instinct, for the thing was too sacred to be talked about, that prayers were being poured out there for us, as of old by the high priests within the veil in the most holy place. We occasionally heard the pathetic echoes of a trembling voice pleading as if for life, and we learned to slip out past that door on tiptoe, not to disturb the holy meeting The outside world might not know, but we knew where that happy light as of a newborn smile that was always dawning on my father's face was from. It was a reflection of the divine presence in the consciousness of which he lived. Never in temple or cathedral, on mountain or in glen, 
Can I hope to feel that the Lord God is more near, more visibly walking and talking with men than under that humble cottage roof? Though everything else in religion were by some unthinkable catastrophe swept out of memory or blotted from my understanding, my soul would wander back to those early scenes and shut itself up once again in that sanctuary closet. And hearing the echoes of those cries to God, I would hurl back all doubt with the victorious appeal, he walked with God. Why may not I? What we see in the Bible is it's a powerful thing for somebody to be able to look at a life and say, they walk with God like their fathers or like those around them. We're never going to be perfect. Asa was not perfect. David was not perfect. The people who it says they walked in their path like their fathers, they were not perfect. But they were individuals who had a real walk with God. And there's no need for us to have the wrong goal. I should have the right aim at least the right standard, the right thing that I'm choosing. And you and I, particularly speaking to you as fathers or grandfathers, but particularly as fathers, have a very unique responsibility. And what I mean by that is this. I have a good father, and my father is by no means perfect, uh, I could probably tell you his imperfections better than most. Uh, I also serve in ministry with him. He's the senior pastor at our church, and I've been a pastor there for a number of years, so I have unique insight in some of the things that could also be mistakes in his life. But I can clearly say my father is the best man I know. But not only that, He's the best man that I will ever know because I'll never get a chance to know another individual like that because I'll never spend that much time with somebody else or see that much of somebody else or be able to have the full view of somebody else in that way. And as a father, you have the chance, the opportunity first and foremost to be the best man that someone will ever know in their life if you walk with God. That's how you do it. And it doesn't have to be anything flashy in your life. That quote I read from John Patton, his dad was just a dude who worked and served faithfully in a church. But he didn't know anybody better than him. And some of us, maybe we have not great fathers, or you don't have that example, but in every life, you're going to know somebody who's the best man that you will ever know in your life. And that's why it's still important that we have godly grandfathers and godly uncles and godly brothers and godly pastors and other godly men. Because some men who were not directly related to other men, it still said they walked in the ways of their father David or somebody else might not have been their direct dad, but the idea is 
they emulated that type of life that was a life that walked with God. And I encourage you, your life and your walk with God matters to other people. And God will use it if it's just sincere. Nobody's going to have a perfect one, but you can have a sincere one. If you would, flip to one more place, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The last thing that I would think you'd simply find as you read through some of these verses is not only does your walk with God matter to other people, your walk with God matters to God. Sounds simple, right? But here's what Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 4, look at verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Again, I find it interesting. You notice there's so little description here. People might want, yeah, but what does that look like? How does that work? Paul obviously felt like he didn't need to say very much more. The Thessalonians, he was there a very short time. He got there. People got saved. They had no Christian background. They didn't have a history of things they could turn to. They didn't grow up in Christian homes. Maybe some that were Jew had some type of religious background, but a lot of them were likely Gentiles. Paul was only there a couple weeks, and he gets kicked out because of persecution. And so with baby Christians, he can just say, you know what I taught you? Abound in those things, how you ought to walk with God and please him. You could get that. If you're walking with God, everything else, you'll figure it out. He'll talk with you. He'll direct you. He'll help you. There's so little description here what it meant for them to walk with him. But just to know that to be in God's presence, to put yourself in a position where he is, right? You're, you're doing that today. You're going where you know God will be found. Satan's not leading you to go to a men's conference to hear from God, right? That's a pretty clear one. So, all right, God, I'm putting myself in a position where you can speak to me. I, I just want to be with you. I know that that's pleasing to you. And he says, just abound in those. Do more of that stuff. Whatever is going to put you in a position to be in God's presence and to hear from him, abound in that. Grow in that. The things that I talk to you about, do it more. Add it to another place in your life. Don't let it begin to slip away. Abound in it because that is pleasing to God. It was the testimony of Jesus Christ about himself. John 8, 29 Jesus said, he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. He knew he was walking with God because he was doing what was pleasing to his Father. My Father's never left me alone. I'm in fellowship with him. Jesus calls us to do the same. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the whole point. The 
how you and I are supposed to have the same testimony that we can walk with God and please him when we are sinners, unlike Jesus, is because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross has made a way for sinful men to walk in God's presence consistently. Because when his light shines on me, and even when it shines on sin in my life, I can just say that's sin in my life, and he says, his blood cleanses me from that, and we're good. There's nothing between us, nothing holding us back. Uh, there's a guy named Brother Lawrence who wrote a famous book, Practicing God's Presence. One of the things he says in there that always stuck with me is he simply just says, God, if you don't help me, all I'll ever do is sin. And he said, when I find sin in my life, I just confess it and move on. Because I know if he doesn't help me, all I'll ever do is sin. But his grace is there to cleanse me and then allow me to continue to pursue the things that I know are right, to abound in what is good and in what I know is pleasing to God. And if I continue to do that, there's less and less room for those weeds to grow. I'm planning the good things in my life that are healthy. A.W. Tozer in his book, Delighting with God, says, my fellowship with God is much more than one day I'm gonna die and go to heaven. My fellowship with God is experiencing the manifest presence of God in my day-to-day -day living, not just a Sunday morning experience that cannot be replicated throughout the week. The, dyna the dynamics of our worship is an everyday experience, or it is not true worship, and we do not understand who God really is. This is what God did. He sent his son to die so that we could be cleansed, so that we could begin to walk with him now and never stop. It just grows until eternity. That's the whole point. Like if, I'm, if I'm not really interested in walking with him now, I'm not gonna like heaven very much. That's the, that's the whole point of living in heaven. I walk in the light of his presence, literally, continually, forever, eternally. And we build on those things. And God's ideal ends up being glimpsed in a greater reality in the new heavens and new earth. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 16 and 18 say, God has said, I will dwell among them and walk among them. This is God speaking, right? All the way back like it was in the beginning. I will dwell among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. He's our father. He's made us his sons. He has daughters in there, but they're not here today, so sons. And he wants to walk with us and be in fellowship with us. And he's made a way for that to be possible no matter what is going on in our lives. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us so that we can walk in the light and have fellowship with him. Cleanses us from all sin. That's his promise in First John. Again, you and I are his sons. If you're saved, you're saved. You're going to heaven, okay? But the reality is, my salvation might be sure where my relationship can still struggle. But God wants to have that relationship with me. Again, if I bring it into a, a normal life context, like I don't live in my father's house anymore, but if I did live in my father's house, and when I lived in my father's house, I'm his son. Nothing's gonna change that. I'm always gonna be his son. 
It is what it is. I've been born into his family. But if I just ignore what he says to me and blow off his rules and we argue about all of our interests and I don't really care what type of example or life he's leading in front of me, we're not going to have a great relationship. I might still be his son, but the fellowship I enjoy on a personal level becomes muted. There becomes relational distance between me and him. And essentially, a walk with God is a person who doesn't have any relational distance between them and the Lord. That's why we can look at individuals that are Christians, not saying they're not going to heaven, but they're sons who maybe are not actively walking with God. There's distance there because there's things that are unaddressed. How can two walk together except they be agreed? God loves this picture. He has made it his own ideal in the Bible for simple baby Christians to say walk with God is something they should understand. But I encourage you, wherever you are in your walk with the Lord, if you're doing well, abound in that. It is pleasing to God. If there is some distance between you and him, if there is something that is unaddressed, he is not happy living at a distance from you. He died so that he could live close to you, so that he could walk with you through your daily life and be involved in all the things that you might think are boring, but he cares about because he loves you. And he wants you to walk in the light and have fellowship with him, and his blood can cleanse you from that sin. So whatever it is that might be between you and him, you need to bring it into the light and ask his blood to wash it. And then you can walk free before him. Unlike any human father, he doesn't carry hurt or resentment. You'll find him like that father of the prodigal son who's happy to receive you home and be back in fellowship. Let's pray. Lord, I lift my brothers here to you. I thank you that you love us. I pray you would teach us what it is to walk with you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would draw any who are at that distance, Lord. You are close to us, and you know what we need from you, and you know how to speak to us, and you've made a way for us to come to you no matter what is there in our lives. And Lord, I do ask that you would allow us the grace, Lord, to know your voice, to know your presence, to know what it is not to hide from you. And Lord Jesus, I do pray as well that we could be the type of men who are known for walking with you and are an encouragement to anyone else who wants to do the same. So I commit these gentlemen to you, Lord Jesus, and myself to you. Continue your good work in our hearts and lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Um, it's really blessed uh, 
just wanted to share this with you guys. I think uh, even in hearing the message, I was reminded of a lot of things. Uh, one of them is, uh, so I, was, I wasn't raised by my dad. My dad wasn't kind of in the picture. And uh, my, my grandfather was